Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe that we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our originals page when shopping for books and movies we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great conversations. I was so excited for our big Star Trek film franchise series this season. All those movies adapted from Gene Roddenberry's original 1960s TV show. As a huge fan, I know that you geeked out over analyzing the adaptations. Absolutely. From the motion picture to the Kelvin timeline films, seeing the Enterprise crews on the big screen was a dream come true. Our list of source material isn't just all books and plays. We have the original series in our list of source material. You can rent the episodes to watch and enjoy and support the show in the process. For our Millennium Trilogy series, we covered films adapted from the original books that launched Lizbeth Salander, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Girl Who Played with Fire, and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. As much as I love Fincher's version, the original Swedish versions are the way to go. We also did our Die Hard series in Season 7. I can't believe Die Hard and Die Hard 2 were adaptations! Two of the greatest action movies ever. Well, one of them at least. The other is awfully fun, though. We revisited the classic Mary Poppins for our 1960s movie musical series. A spoonful of sugar always helps the medicine go down. Old Boy was intense for our Park Chan-wook Vengeance trilogy. And East of Eden and Giant were highlights of our James Dean series. And a fun time travel mind bender with predestination to cap things off. Find all the books behind these adaptations and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Dive into the source material for your favorite movies. Check it out today. Thenextreel.com slash originals. Andy, the trailer for The Young Girls of Rochefort. Yes. There's a lot of color. This, of course, is the is the trailer for the uh, restored version that uh, was yeah. released in '98. Yeah. Um, it, it is yeah. a very colorful film, Pete. 
Very colorful film. It's very lively. Very colorful film. Dancy, it's shaky. It's very lively. Yeah. It is, <laughs> it's lively and shaky. I have to tell you, it's funny. Uh, the, the trailer actually does a fine job of getting me excited about the music and the dancing. and the. It, it's like uh, Austin Powers like got it all from this. Like, really got it from this movie. <laughs> I, I think Mike Myers watched this movie and then sat down and wrote Austin Powers. And uh, because the movement, it's really seductive. And the outfits are super cute. Like, it's just adorable. It is an adorable time. And I think I keep it in, in this sort of a, a lockbox. It's the lockbox. Remember the Dan Quayle's lockbox? It's the lockbox of charm in my head that is just like, God, this is why we suck because we were born in the dirty, angry 70s. And we missed, like, the 60s adorableness that is, you know, this kind of flamboyant European pastel entertainment. The free, whimsical days when you could just ask a Mm -hmm. passing stranger to go pick up your child from school. Multiple days running. That's what you pine for. Right. Yes. Yes. I pine for that (laughs) when that was okay. That was an okay thing. And you know what? You may be looking in the window of a store shop and find uh, uh, find that the sailor has blue eyes. And you think, I... I want to date somebody with blue eyes. I will start to kiss them and dance with them. And that's okay. That was okay in the 60s. That was in the lockbox. And the trailer, I think, really, uh, it, it latched on to that for me. And I, uh, so I was, I was engaged and I was intrigued for the film based on the trailer. Yes, I was too. <laughs> Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I am glad we watched this trailer because I was, you know, I was yeah. debating, you know, commenting about some of the original trailers that that you can find on yeah. YouTube and stuff because they're, I mean, they're some of them are a little tedious. Well, and I didn't watch any of them because the one that that came in my uh, in the digital, you know, sometimes they get the trailers comes with the movie on the digital download, and it was terrible. It was just a cut scene from the film. It was dumb. Yeah, the, I, I found one, and it's tricky because I can never kind of quite tell is this the original French trailer? I mean, one I found was through BFI, so I'm like, it couldn't have been the French version, but it was like, you right. know, I can't remember how long it was, but it's like a four minute trailer. I'm like, man, they really running this thing long with lots of stuff mm-hmm. in it. And, uh, you know, it's so it's tricky. It's, uh, you know, this this felt like, uh, you know, a modern look at, you know, showing the audience how great all of this was. So, yes, to that end, this worked and it uh, would have gotten me excited. Bonjour, Monsieur Maxence. Alors, il l'a trouvé Toujours pas. Qu'est-ce qu'il a perdu Son idéal féminin. Voilà. C'est elle. Qui a fait ce portrait Je viens de te le dire, un militaire. C'est une histoire d'amour, je suppose. Que voulez-vous que ce soit J'ai rencontré l'homme de ma vie. Je tremble. Quelle folie Je ne veux plus te revoir, Guillaume. Tais-toi Quoi Je l'ai. Le thème de mon concerto. This is The Next Reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that over there is Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey. And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, an insidiously bizarre mashup of 60s French exuberance. The second in our 60s musicals is Jacques Demy's The Young Girls of Rochefort. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. 
And if you enjoy this show and are interested in supporting our ongoing work investigating great film, please consider a regular donation through our Patreon page. You'll get to join our back-channel conversations on Discord, help us pick movies for upcoming series, and listen to the members-only weekend show, The Saturday Matinee, where we talk lists each week that relate to our current show, as well as uh, talking about box office and everything else going on in the world of cinema that week. Just head on over to patreon.com slash thenextreel. Vos filles pourraient nous aider Okay, Andy, young girls of Rochefort, let's 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 let them have it. <laughs> Break out the big guns. The, it's an interesting little movie. Um, I as I watched this, it really kind of struck me that um, I I was really kind of racking my brains, like how many other foreign films have I seen that were musicals, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I've seen some. I just can't recall. Uh, but it's definitely a small number in the number of overall musicals that I've seen. And this one was one where I was like, um, I don't know. I don't know why I found this distracting. But just listening to them sing the songs and then reading the subtitles below, I kept in my head. It was it was distracting me going, is this this can't be really an accurate translation of what they're actually saying? Because right? the English is rhyming. And the French is rhyming, and that's obviously not going to work. So they're they're tweaking the words to make it make sense in a rhyming sort of way, in a sing-song way. And I guess they're getting the idea across. But in my head, I, I don't know why I was finding it distracting, but I'm like, I wish I knew French so that I... I would really kind of make sure that I knew what the words were. But I mean, that's kind of a, you know, a neither here nor there to a certain extent. It was an interesting film to watch. I can't say that, uh, that I came out really, uh, enjoying it, uh, overall or loving it. Um, I found it, uh, it did have its own magic and seduction within the film, um, the way that it was put together and everything. Um, but it, it wasn't really my cup of tea. So, uh, you know, while I, I can certainly appreciate it, it's, it wasn't something that I overly enjoyed. I, uh, I'm right with you. And I was a real, um, man, it was a real pendulum for me, this, this entire experience, because, uh, the, uh, like I said, the music and the dancing, I think is really seductive. The sixties jazz is, you know, it really rings of, um, stuff that that later inspired Claude Bowling, and who's one of my very favorite jazz composers, French jazz composers. I just love the whole style and and uh, tone and feel of it. Uh, I, I I could not help thinking of La La Land. I mean, the inspiration that came out of clearly out of this film, you know, to uh, uh, to La La Land was was stunning. I'm interested if you heard the same, but then. I get into the story. So the music is one thing, the experience, the tone is one thing, and the, then we have the story, and it's very much a sort of sliding doors, kind of mistaken identity, missed connections kind of story, and uh, it, it's cute for a little while. But there are so many of these relationships that are all struggling with the same romantic arc. They are the same romantic arc, and it's too damn many. And by the time we're an hour into the movie, I'm ready to hang it up. I am so bored. The music is isn't inspiring me anymore. It's a it's it's a very similar theme that's just being played over and over again, with the exception of a few of the songs that kind of are, are standouts. Uh, but I am I'm I'm really done. And then they introduce this wackadoo uh, knife murderer angle, which is 
super confusing to me. So these are all things that I'm hoping we can kind of dissect as we go through this movie. But, uh, you know, this issue of um, consent, (laughs) 60s consent uh, (laughs) in the character of Guillaume, the axe murderer thing, and uh, and, uh, oh my gosh, the the repetitiveness in the narrative. Uh, These are all things that I really struggled with in this movie. And that made it not that enjoyable of an experience for me. But man, the French love this movie. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't have as much a problem of the um, the repetitiveness. I, I actually kind of enjoyed the way that these stories kind of uh, we kept going around with these stories. And I was, I think for me, what it what struck me as I was watching it was that I I didn't think that this was a um, a musical that Jacques Demy had directed um, in the full spirit of uh, kind of. Hollywood musicals. Mm-hmm. I I kept because of the way that the story was unfolding with, you know, these these constant misses and the the randomness of the of a of a, an axe murderer being thrown in, and even the way that the film wraps up. You know, our final um, pair and how uh, really we never even get to see them kind of connect. I found it almost as if he were. Uh, Maybe, maybe making a statement of the way Hollywood uh, musicals had come to be, and and so kind of structured this in kind of a, a little bit of a retort, while still almost doing it as an homage. So that's that's uh, I, I and I kind of enjoyed that element of it. So that's kind of what I was seeing in this one. Yeah, no, I get, I, I definitely see that. I can see the, uh, um, that it, it's a response to, a sort of a glib response, frankly, right? That it's not, yeah. uh, and, and, um, that, that he's not taking it with, uh, with, with so much, uh, sincerity as maybe he would if he were really trying to make a, uh, a statement of quality, um, of the quality of uh, Hollywood musicals. And, and I totally get that. I think there's certainly room for that to, to, you know, essentially kind of lampoon uh, Hollywood musicals. And it actually makes me like this movie a little bit more if I imagine that intent. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, but I do, I'm, I'm interested in your take on the, the missed identity piece as, as not being an issue for you, because for me, man, it was the standout, uh, the standout bit. The stories that I was most interested, I was certainly most interested in, um, you know, in, in the mother's story. And, and it was frustrating because they were spending so much time on these girls who opened the movie with a song that essentially, at least in the, the translation, essentially highlights how much they're, <laughs> they're really sort of free spirited in the sixties. They're free spirited in the sixties, but it, it makes them like not, um, I, not, I wasn't interested in them. I was like, oh, I, I get, I, I get it. They're setting these girls up as a type, and I don't know what kind of lesson we're going to learn there. But the the one I was most interested in was was their mother, and as we start to learn as her romance, you know, the the history of her failed romance, uh, which ended on really superficial grounds because she didn't she left because his name his her married name would have been madame dame is i I thought pretty weak sauce to to build the entire romantic intrigue on but i was i liked her the most and so i i wanted to come come back to her more and more and and uh i I thought the other romances were were a a little bit pedestrian we got all the puzzle pieces so we knew yeah. That okay. So mom's gonna end up with Monsieur Dom, and uh, that that uh, uh, Max sense that that his ideal woman 
uh, is, uh, is, um, I'm blanking on all their names right now, but, uh, you know, his ideal woman, for Pete's sake. Well, so yeah, she was, uh, Delphine, right? He was most interested in Delphine. That, so that Mac, Mac sense is, you know, uh, ideal woman is Delphine. And Solange was going to end up with Andy. Uh, you could kind of see all of this, uh, kind of playing out. So what ended up happening for me is, I knew all of that and I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to wait until later for all of these little things to get tied up nicely. The thing that I ended up finding most intriguing was who's the killer. (laughs) And then when it's revealed, I'm like, oh, that was really kind of a letdown. (laughs) Total (laughs) letdown, right. (laughs) It is bizarre that 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 even happened. There are some weird things going on in this movie I, and uh, so uh, not the least of which is that everybody's dancing around every corner uh there seem to be pixies <laughs> right. in like, like leotards is, <laughs> this is why they have that wacky wacky bridge to get to rochefort because <laughs> they're, just, they're keeping all the the constant dancing people they, uh, locked away something wrong oh with no this there's town. another one send them to rochefort <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's exactly right. It is. This is Arkham. It's it's the French Arkham Asylum for dancing people, and uh, and and you, uh, they just love it there. They're happy and they're deluded and they love it. Um, the then you have these characters like, for example, Guillaume. Mm. Guillaume runs uh, an art gallery, and when we meet him. I think it's it's Solange, right? That goes in to to meet him, or no? It's Delphine. It's Delphine, uh, right, and Delphine. she goes in because she sees her. She's breaking up with him. She's breaking up with him, but was she ever really with him? I uh, kind of. He, I think it was, he was one of those weird hookup sort of her. things. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's like, I can't do it anymore. It's that whole thing where you know, it's I'm finally breaking up. You know, it's one of those. That's kind of my sense of it. Yeah. Okay. So she's going to, but what is going on? As she's having this conversation with him, she walks in to meet him, and he has has uh, hung little baggies of paint over a uh, over a, a palette, over a like a canvas, and he's standing about fifteen feet away, and he's shooting them with a handgun, like with the forty four. It's like a not a small gun, <laughs> and he's he's just shooting into the wall, uh, and I he it makes him one of the like creepiest just men uh in the film and he ends up playing her and lying to her and he's just generally a horrible person and he continuously shoots these little baggies of paint over the same canvas all the time i found him bizarre and not in a way that i uh wanted to learn more about him i was done immediately <laughs> immediately with that character get him out of here. He is useless. I didn't get it. We could have had a completely normal uh, uh, conversation with a very nice art gallery uh, owner and have her, the, the central point of that sequence, right, is to have her see that painting that was done by Maxence that was hanging in the gallery. She needed to see that and recognize that it was her. That's all we needed. Why did we need the creep? It was weird, but I think that they're playing with your expectations of the killer and you're setting him up to be the one that you think is going to be the killer. And, uh, you know, it's one of those weird things where I think that they were like, okay, he's he runs the art gallery. He's going to be an artist. So this is how he's creating his works. 
And, uh, you know, I, I bought into it in context of the movie and, uh, and I was like, okay, it, but it makes him creepy, which is how he's, we're supposed to feel about him. So it's a little on the nose as far as that goes. And then I found out that there was this killer running around and I'm like, oh, well, okay. That's why they're setting that whole thing up. It didn't play out that it was him, but it's still, you know, it still fit in kind of what they were doing here. And so I don't know. I, I wasn't thrilled about it, but it didn't bug me, I don't think, as much as it bugged you. Well, the central question here, Andy, is, is the killer storyline, uh, uh, d- does it merit even being in this movie, right? It is, as you say, it played out poorly, weakly, anemically, and so why is it here? And it's it's the central thing that I'm confused about. This could have been a charming Hollywood uh, movie, uh, Hollywood-style movie, a take on Hollywood musicals. It could have presented the fun, romantic stuff and uh, it ended up, I, I found it a complete distraction. And it was a distraction to the point that I was more interested in it than I was in all of the <laughs> romance and the music, uh, uh, the musicality of the rest of the movie. It was such a small part. It's, it's a G story uh, in a movie that's otherwise also very long and complicated in, in terms of keeping all the people and relationships straight. To that end, it did make me wonder if it was an element of, uh, of this kind of um, the way that they're playing with Hollywood expectations in context of a, uh, a musical because uh, it it doesn't seem to fit. And what happens is it becomes almost comical when they start singing about it and reacting to it because their musical nonchalance uh, as they sing about it and laugh it off and everything, it's just such a strange way to kind of handle it. And so that's all I could get out of it is, is that, is that it, it seemed like it was just kind of a, uh, kind of a uh, a way to a way for them to uh, kind of poke into the kind of the structure of what Hollywood had been doing all those years. Yeah, I, I just if you're gonna give me a story like this, I want to see Demon Barber of Fleet Street. You know what I mean? I want Sweeney Todd. And what they gave me instead was, you know, uh, they they tried to inject a little Sweeney Todd into uh, into this giant piece of. Hubba bubba. <laughs> I was not. I I was having none of it. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it really it was really frustrating because I did I do enjoy the music and I I think the music was was really sweet and engaging, uh, e- even as it got a little bit repetitive toward the end. And I, and I've been listening to it. You know, I've been streaming it. And the the album uh, the entire thing on Spotify is is you know it's essentially as long as the movie. I don't know how they did that. It's like a two hour double CD release. Uh, and uh, and and so I enjoy it, but um, boy, it does, just doesn't seem to. The the movie did not strike me. Uh, we got to talk a little bit about the sisters. Uh, uh, yes. You know the Deneuve, the lovely twins, the lovely twins, born under uh, the sign of Gemini. They certainly were Catherine Deneuve and Françoise Dorliac uh, as Delphine and Solange Garnier. This is notable because uh, they were actually sisters in the real life. And grew up together, um, and uh, this was a nice uh, little thing to reunite them in their home country. I didn't realize that they were sisters in their real life. They were sisters, and it is it, it's uh, it, it was fascinating, and and like learning about their 
um, you know, how they, they grew up together and how they returned to this little town and how they grew up, you know, so close to it and, and, uh, um, and deeply sad, uh, jumping ahead a little bit, that, uh, um, you know, Francois... Uh, Francoise actually died in a, a horrible um, car accident in Nice. Uh, right after this, the opened. same year yeah. that this was yeah. released, yeah, um, and and it was it was very sad. She was very young and and already had quite a, a career um, that Catherine Deneuve ended up, uh, you know, clearly um, making good on. We'll say after yeah. her death, yeah. so sad. Yeah, I think that they are a, a nice pair. I mean, they're very, um, they're very, you know, sprightly, light, effervescent. You know, the it just all the singing and dancing that they do. Uh, it's just it's kind of just adorable, and so I found it very easy to kind of uh, just have them be. Um, my protagonists through this film, it, you know, just kind of made it fun and easy. And, uh, Catherine Deneuve has, I mean, she certainly is an actress who's been in a wide variety of projects. Um, even right around this time, you know, uh, Belle de Jour, uh, and Tristana, uh, with Luis Buñuel, uh, a few years earlier, she had been, uh, working with Roman Polanski in Repulsion. Um, you know, she, she does some really interesting projects and uh and all of those are a hundred percent you know you know tonally different from what we get here even what when like i, I haven't seen the umbrellas of Cherbourg that uh, she worked on uh, with demi in 64 but even that you know tonally is supposedly quite different and i think that she's just one of those actresses who can go from you know freaking out as much as she does in repulsion and kind of the horrors she is experiencing in that film to just this bubbly, effervescent, uh, you know, youngster who is looking for love. And it's it's really uh, pretty, it says a lot about her as an actress and her sister that they can both convey that so effectively. Yeah, I, I actually thought so, too. I In particular, the musical numbers that they did together, remarkably sort of beautiful. The first one, I think, was really great. Like, I was really engaged when they were doing the, the Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, uh, uh, telling the story of, um, you know, their experience in and their desires, you know, both in Rochefort and to leave Rochefort to go to Paris. Um, and, and that actually is a side note on the music. There is a lot of plot <laughs> that happens in the yeah. singing, right? I mean, you got to keep up. If you miss a song, you've missed a lot of narrative. They they tell the whole story in the songs, which is which is really interesting, I think stylistically, right? I mean, it's it's not just stopping to talk about a relationship. We're we're actually moving the plot forward. It's it's much more sort of operatic, classically operatic when you think about the the role that the music serves in the narrative. Uh it is it is an absolute tool not a distraction from um, the way they're telling the story. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, yeah, and I think that's the that that opening sequence, you know, or the opening song with those two girls is our entrance to that, and and they're great, and they're super. I love the everything about it, the colors and the dancing and the way they deal with the piano and the horns and everything is just really sweet, and and so I I found it uh, I found it quite nice. That's something else that you uh, just mentioned that that I thought was really interesting in this one that. Uh, it it took elements of the artifice of musicals and it almost allowed them to be extra artificial 
And I don't know if that makes complete sense, but what I found as I watched this is like uh, like that particular moment, like when the girls pick up instruments and start playing them and whatever. Mm-hmm. It never ever seems like they're actually playing them like the piano when they're doing the piano you never see their hands on the keys and you just kind of you know it always looks completely artificial as to what they're actually doing and even like the dancing like sometimes i found the dancing i shouldn't say sometimes almost every time people were dancing it's like the choreography was not quite perfect for everybody and like there were always some (laughs) kind of slightly sloppy bits of choreography and I'm like, gosh, this is all over the place. Yeah. And I'm, and so it made me feel like, okay, Demi may be kind of just a sloppy director, or he's intentionally having people kind of, he's not worrying about kind of those things because in this, you know, crazy world where everybody's just dancing, it's, it's, it's allowing for a little bit of the, those kind of hiccups and mistakes to be in there. And I, I, I don't know. I found it distracting, but I also found it quite interesting. But I, and I don't, I don't know if I'm analyzing it correctly either, but that's how I took it. Well, I don't know either, but I, I actually, I mean, I, I feel it, you know, the, the sequence that really jumps out to me is when the, the guys, the carnies come over to the apartment and ask the girls to join the show because they have their, you know, their, uh, other girlfriends who were already in the show and did the Asian shimmy and the something shimmy, right? the Chinese shimmy. I mean, it was just it was crazy. Those girls broke up with these guys because they didn't have blue eyes. And then, <laughs> and then, so the guys go over to the apartment to talk to the girls and say, please, will you join the show? And the girls say, what do you want us to do a little something like this? They, I think they think we're strippers, right? And, and they have that moment. And then they do the song, the four of them. And it, it, your comment is, true to form for this song, right? Everything is fraudulent in this in this song, right? They're moving around, yeah. they're having a great time, but all of the music, if they want to fake that they're playing the music, the guys go over to this magical drum set that suddenly just sort of appears, and one of them picks up the drumsticks, and as he's about to start drumming away on them, they go to a close-up up angle from, like, the floor where you can't see the drums. All you can see is him, like, waving his hands in the air <laughs> as if he's playing the drums. I think that is just a perfect example of what you're talking about, that just the ridiculousness of how these people actually interact with music not not only that which i i absolutely agree um but i and we talked about this with mary poppins um the that whole notion of, of breaking the fourth wall and looking into the camera which happens a little bit in mary poppins but wow <laughs> it's like everybody is doing it in this film and like for long stretches like through <laughs> songs through talking and i'm like this is just a this is a thing they're acknowledging that this is artifice and they're just stepping out of it and talking directly to us so it was but it really it's i sometimes i just found it really distracting first shot last shot andy uh yeah, yeah we haven't done this in a while i know it's been a long time but this is one of those where we have the the uh welcome to and goodbye from the fairy tale uh the first shot is the wide shot of the crazy bridge the crazy weird swinging troll bridge uh, as the <laughs> as it moves across uh this river and it is actually moving across the river to pick up the caravan of carnies as they come into rochefort that's just that that again makes me think of Austin Powers. Right. Carnies, <laughs> filthy people. <laughs> Tiny hands. <laughs> yes, this is the Rochefort Martru transporter bridge. This was a transporter bridge. The very first shot is is uh um built at the turn of the century and it's a 
it's it's a it, the design of this thing it's a um uh it it allows boats to go by and then it can still move cars across <laughs> so funky little bridge it is um, so strange but you okay, yeah. go ahead what's the last but shot? That, we'll talk about yeah so the last shot um we we see max Ants. he's been hitchhiking and, and all the carnies are driving by and where the last shot is is kind of looking down the road at the direction that they're heading and we see max Ants looking as as one of the trucks stops and we see that it is in fact one of our carnies who has jumped out and max Ants jumps in we know uh, we never got to see it on screen, but we do know that in the end, yes, uh, Maxence is now sitting next to Delphine, his ideal woman, and they will finally be able to join each other together in love and in Paris. Aww. As as the, and then interestingly, as they drive away, the film uh, we get a blue iris. The 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 film irises to just a blue screen, which is. A very interesting thing. I don't know if it ties into the blue eyes or what, but that's our last shot. I uh, I actually think that specifically on the treatment of this bridge, I think it's really cool. Uh, I love where they put the camera as they they sort of showcase the movement of all the, of these trucks on the bridge. Uh, it there are some great angles. He's up on the trusses, watching the thing slide underneath it. All the while, these these carny characters uh, in all their different pastels are swinging each other around and not singing. They're just dancing to this music, and I think it's. I think it's a really interesting way to bring us into the film. I think it's great, and I was I was really attracted to it. My favorite shot of the bridge was the one where we were like on land watching it move away from us, but the camera has it set just just at a height where this is. You see all these people dancing, and you see the the kind of the frame of this transporter unit. And then it's just space underneath it. You don't see the water below it. You don't see anything else. And so it's just like this floating thing that's moving through space with all these dancers on it. It was actually a really, really cool shot. And, you know, in terms of welcoming us to the narrative, this is like the opening of the storybook and the closing of the storybook in these, you know, in these uh, the, the classic sort of stories that you think of. And, and I, um, I, I think it actually it, it works very, very well. Yeah, in context of what they're working to do here. Right. Yes, absolutely. And you can actually find it. It's right there. I'm looking at it in Google Maps, the bridge, and I feel like I'm on it with these yahoos. Well, you know what's interesting about this bridge is they actually closed it in 1967, and they they instead built a vertical lift bridge, which is basically the same sort of thing. But instead, when a boat needs to go by, the whole bridge just goes straight up into the air. Oh, is that what's going on? Because I can't, I don't actually see the little car, but I can see the trusses. I think I see what you're talking about. This bridge that we're watching in the film is the it's the transfer bridge it's the movable one where it just goes left to right across the river and then a boat can go past it the they replace this and it must have been like uh right after this film or something um for one that would go up and down instead so the the entire so the whole so a bridge went across the entire river and then when a boat came, the whole thing would just go up. Yeah. I got it. And in fact, this is really interesting. You can actually see it in Google Maps. If you go to Rochefort, France, and you follow the river that is going through the river, you can see the new bridge that Andy is talking about. And then immediately to the left of it, or to the east of it, is looks like the original like landing spot of that bridge. And you can see the road. And the road 
is like we get this interesting angle. The closing angle is they're driving over to toward the bridge outside of Rochefort. You can see the road that they use, but the bridge, the trusses are no longer there for that bridge and the little car cart. Uh, but you can see the the giant sort of foundation elements that were left, the big concrete sort of pylons there. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it, what, okay. So what they did, so uh, I, I didn't finish. So in '67, they built this vertical lift bridge that they tore down in '91, and they built this actual. It's a, just a road bridge now. It's a regular bridge that goes over the river. And then what they did in '94. <laughs> <laughs> they restored the transporter bridge as a historical monument. So what you're oh actually <laughs> looking at uh, is the historical monument, which actually does work. Okay, so this is it, so funny. So if you zoom out a little bit, keeping up with Andy, <laughs> zoom out a little bit, you see the highway bridge that is just to the east of the original foundation, which clearly was the bridge that they tore down again. And that is now that I see exactly what you're talking about. I feel like this whole narrative is just unfolded in Google Maps. It's amazing. Ah, uh, the magic of the world. Yes. I do see now exactly what you're talking about. Oh, this is fascinating. It's all in the Zoom, Andy. Indeed it's all it is. in the Indeed Zoom. It is. <laughs> Uh, but I do think the road is interesting because I can't find where they shot that in this this new rehabilitated bridge. Uh, it clearly they've changed some road stuff because the original road looks to me like it was moved uh, at some point to the second location. Anyway, long story. Uh, bridge is great. You should watch it for the bridge. <laughs> How about that? Let's do the deep scene dive. <laughs> The scene we are doing here, Andy, is uh, what I uh, lovingly call the death of Lola Lola in song. Oh, yes. Yes. I, our I, our uh, the song about the murder. <laughs> okay. There are a couple of things that I wanted to talk about here with this. This is the song where we open on Maxence. He is walking across the plaza uh, and into Yvonne's restaurant. And Yvonne is reading the newspaper with, I think, Pepe. But I, uh, uh, I get these, the old men characters, I get confused. Grandpa? Grandpa? Is that I not Pepe? I thought that was the same uh, thing. Uh, yeah, Pepe maybe. and Grandpa was the same. I couldn't find, yeah. I, I couldn't figure it out. So anyway, he was a cranky old man. Uh, other characters in here, we have uh, Genevieve Tenier as Josette and, and Jacques Perrin as Maxence and Danielle Dario as uh, Yvonne. And she is sing reading the newspaper and she is singing the newspaper. And the song she is singing is about the death of of Lola Lola, who was a, a nightclub cabaret singer who was found in Rochefort, hacked up by a knife. And as Josette finishes, oh my goodness, she was laid out like puzzle pieces. Her body was reassembled uh, uh, after being cut up as puzzle pieces. And this is all playing out in song. Now, I have to tell you, I was an advocate for this as our deep scene dive, not because it is necessarily representative of what this film is, but because, man, does it stand out to me as what this film is not. <laughs> Which uh, isn't Sweeney Todd. It's so weird. It's so weird. The song is is funny and charming. Weird. I mean, it's dark. It's dark. But I love that she's singing about it. And I think that whole... Um, I, I would have seen this as a whole musical. Well, and I think that goes to the point uh, we were uh, making earlier, where Demi may be kind of poking fun at kind of the way that Hollywood musicals you know, open 
into song about any particular subject mm-hmm. in this particular case about this this sadist killer who might be a mystical recluse it, it's just such a, a strange little thing and and it's fun kind of seeing how the information is doled out about the crime and what exactly happened and what's going on and it is really strange i mean i completely agree and uh, and it comes in at a point where it's pretty late in the film. I mean, we're an hour and almost an hour, 15 minutes into the film. And this is when we get this strange uh, additional element of the story. And it's like, what, where are we going now? Yeah. Cause yeah. I certainly didn't see this coming. And in looking at what it, what we gain by having this, I, I'm not really sure if there's much, it's not like at some point, uh, either of our, our protagonists are threatened or anything. Um, and, but then I was like, well, maybe they were trying to make us think that it was uh, Guillaume who was the one. Um, because after the dance at the carnival and everything, we do have a brief scene where we see uh, uh, Delphine kind of cornered by Guillaume. Uh, but it, it's a quick conversation and he's just and it's like, not okay. threatening. No, there's no threat about it at all. So it, it alleviates all of that and makes it turn into this kind of flaccid element of the story. It's it's really odd, but you're right. It's There's something captivating about it still in the song, in the way that it's handled, um, and in the way that they shoot it. I, I found that Demi and uh, and his cameraman, uh, Giseline Cloquet, it was, the whole film was shot this way, where it was just, it was a, kind of a really... A smooth style with lots of lot long shots, and this one, in fact, and when I say long, I mean time. I'm, I don't mean mm-hmm. distance. Um, I mean in this particular scene that we're looking at, the scene lasts about three minutes, and there's only five shots in that whole three minutes. Uh, so on average, it's like over thirty seconds per shot, which is really interesting. And some of them are very short. Like there's a quick shot of Yvonne as. Uh, it's kind of a weird one because it's after the very first shot, which is a ver- the longest one where it starts as Maxence enters and it goes through the, her whole song at the newspaper. And at the end, we pull back from her and then all of a sudden it's a jump cut right to her face before we then jump cut over to to Pepe. And so it was mm-hmm. like, it was, it was strange. It was very strangely structured, um, but um, but I enjoyed them. Really nice long shots. Yeah, I do too, and I think the close uh, the the close up and medium shots are interesting because the camera's always moving. It's a very steady and smooth move, but as she you know juts a little bit to the shimmies a little bit to the left as she's insinuating herself to the right, the camera just sort of tracks right with her, and and it's got a nice sense of just sort of fluidity uh, to it, and and so I think it's used really well. Those long shots are. This is certainly not the only scene that uh, that they do that. I, I think the restaurant is a great example. Maxence's first song. Is is one where I think I think it's one long shot until um, you know a part of the music where everybody starts singing with him uh, like toward the very end of the song and and it's that same sort of subtle movement so I think this really kind of celebrates what what Cloquet and, and Demi were trying to do uh, and, and it's very effective um, it's interesting and uh, as I've already said I am 
really interested in Yvonne and and her story at this point. I like her the most, and so uh, you know, I I think she's she's just sort of a, a captivating character, and I love her telling this story. I really love the way um, Josette comes in and and is already in on it. You know, that this is this becomes kind of the gossip song. But I have this one thing, this one little hypothesis that I want to to give you here. Um, this is the death of Lola Lola. She was a cabaret singer. Do you think there's any connection between this Lola and Demi's 1961 film, Lola? A bored young man meets his former girlfriend, now a cabaret dancer and single mother, and soon finds himself falling back in love with her. What do you think? Do you think Demi is saying that Lola has been hacked to pieces by this guy who is now, <laughs> uh, who, who is, uh, has this unrequited love? Totally makes That's you want to funny. see Lola, doesn't it? it? It does. That is a it's an interesting little thing that you found there as far as that other movie that he did. I don't know. I I mean, who knows? It could be, but um, I don't know. It's such a <laughs> such a strange little number. It is a very strange little number. Um, I found uh we've already talked about camera production design this is just a it it feels like a lovely sort of 70s or 60s era diner um and it was appointed just so um uh, costumes though we've got a uh, you know shout out to uh, marie-claude fouquet uh, jacqueline moreau and jean barthet who was the hat maker uh jean barthet was the hat maker and uh there are some glorious hats in in this film the the costumes just in general uh were i think really terrific and charismatic and fun uh, jubilant there's just, just a sense of jubilance yeah. vibrant i mean yeah. it really is just like this pastel glow that yeah. ends up emanating from the screen it done in a way where i i just felt it was um it planned so well and i i think i read somewhere that demi and his team i mean they came in and like um, it was like a big painting job that they did through the town, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, to get all of the stuff looking the way that they uh, they uh, wanted it to. And you know, thinking about the axe murderer now uh, again, uh, just kind of jumping back into that real quick. Um, uh, you know, the interesting thing about it is what we learn about it at later is that Dutru, the um, the old army buddy of Gramps. Um, is the one who did it. And it was actually, it was another love story. Yes, because, it was another love story. Yeah, because he had loved this, you know, this woman uh, and had been after her for uh, 40 years, I think is what it, we ended up saying. Turned him down for 40 years. And, and uh, you know, is is this what happens uh, for all these people, you know, who stalk their lovers and uh, don't get them. Is this where Guillaume is going to end up in 40 years? I don't know. I'm not sure what it's saying. That's really, that's really interesting that that's, this is actually a snapshot of, uh, of love stories through time. Uh, Not not just in the context of this one weekend. That's interesting. Um, We don't get a lot of, uh, uh, stunning sort of choreography in this particular sequence, but the choreography was uh, done by Norman Maine. Um, and yeah, uh, I would argue that the camera work here is the yeah. choreo. It gets the nice choreography, the way that it dances in that first shot, looking out the door, and then 
it pans uh, as the characters move and, and the whole camera trucks around them and, and backs up and moves forward and backs up and moves to the left again and pans. It's, it's nicely done camera work, but uh, yes, the, the, otherwise the constant choreography, like it just kept cracking me <laughs> up as every constant. time people were walking in the background, they weren't ever walking. It was always a nice little shimmy or, you know, you know, one, two, three, chop, one, two, three, hey, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> they're like shoulder chest jutting and shaking oh. and it, it it's sort of you, you got to be careful because you don't know if somebody's dancing or in the middle of some sort of a seizure like it it was a very <laughs> uh very enthusiastic uh street movement um uh music uh michel legrand uh, did the music and and uh, again i made the connection to la la land did you see it did you hear it? Uh, I guess maybe I wasn't paying attention enough. I seem to remember reading that the La La Land folks, uh, this was kind of inspiration for them, or one of the many films that was inspiration. But um, but I can't, uh, I, I don't know if I could necessarily put my finger on it, because uh, I haven't listened to that in quite a while. You will. And I'm going to tell you, you should. You should go listen to uh, the La La Land score and, or the soundtrack, and in, in particular that that main love theme, me and Sebastian's theme, um, and uh, you know you can hear a little bit of it in someone in the crowd, but really me and Sebastian's theme, and then uh, go listen to the girls' first track and to um, uh, of uh, this one, and you'll hear it. I mean, it's it's right it's right there. I mean, they really it is it's a it's a great inspiration. I couldn't get it out of my head. And I, I actually was playing, I put this and La La Land on shuffle uh, together in a just a straight up mix and played it in the kitchen while I was making dinner with my wife. And she couldn't tell them apart. Like some of the secrets uh. with just the instrumental themes. Um, she couldn't she couldn't tell me at any given point which was from which film. That's interesting. They just fit right together. Yeah, it was really interesting. Well, I mean, they both, in context of musicals, they both have an element of kind of melancholy to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that longing and that pining that I do think might set them apart from some other ones. And that one certainly went for a lot of the jazziness. And, uh, you know, um, this, you know, by nature of what it is, just yeah, kind of has time and that place. tone. Yeah, right. But but the same sort of musical movements you'll you'll hear it. It's really it's it's fantastic, and I don't say that as a as a you know a, a way to kick it at uh, La La Land either. I mean I I think it is an, an honest to god homage, and I think they they did a great job of of celebrating a, a tone and time. Uh, and I didn't get that connection uh, until I saw this movie. So uh, that's that's a real plug. I actually find the musical numbers themselves to be quite catchy. For the most part. And so to that end, and, and I felt like some of them were actually really familiar, like, and maybe it's just kind of that French 60s music that sometimes you hear and it just, it, it becomes its own kind of parody of kind of that, that, you know, that French love, whatever that you would see in later movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I really liked the music, but again, um, I struggled with the, that, the barrier I had with the the subtitles versus what they were really saying. Um, but I, I do enjoy Michel Legrand. He's an interesting composer who, uh, you know, he does stuff like this where he's really kind of, you know, composing the songs and uh, with uh, with Jacques Demy and he's, he's really working at it and, along with all of the score. Um, and then he goes, you know, on to do stuff like Atlantic City that we've talked about on the show. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's an interesting composer. And I think that um, certainly... 
has done a, a huge body of work that uh, is worth noting uh, that, uh, you know, he's, he is good. So uh, I think he brings a lot to the table here. And uh, it's nice that you pointed out that, uh, that connection with a uh, kind of modern film like La La Land. We've got a couple of other characters that we need to talk about. And I think the most important one, the one that we would regret if we didn't just say the name is Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly is in this movie and is also completely and entirely forgettable in this movie. And slightly creepy. <laughs> <laughs> the meeting, our introduction to Gene Kelly when he meets Solange on the street is so weird. Or it's just, it is so weird. It's just a very much a, uh, you know, May-December sort of romance that we end up getting here. Because, I mean, at this time in his life, I mean, he's what, uh, pushing 60? Yeah. And, I, and you know, I mean, and, and she's a young 20-something. Or I think she's actually only 21. And it just, it felt like, uh, it, it felt kind of strange. But then, it's clearly what she's looking for. Because even when she's singing about kind of meeting the love of her life, she's like, oh, he's older, he's got graying hair. And I'm like, this is kind of you know, a creepy thing to be pursuing <laughs> that she's yeah. clearly after and he's clearly after and here we are. And then the, he's just awkward. He's super awkward. He is obviously an American, but he is, you know, he speaks French. Um, it, you know, it's pretty good French. I, I He's, you know, it's, it's Gene Kelly speaking French. And I, I think that makes him come off creepier. Then maybe he would otherwise if he was in a native English <laughs> film. I think that makes him creepier. But uh, but it was very strange. And his moments, right? His his song and dance moments uh, feel to me just a little bit shoehorned in. This is uh, if if it's not, uh, I I don't know. It feels to me very much like stunt casting. I didn't need Gene Kelly in this thing. Apparently, he was uh, you know he was an unimportant get. Uh, for for Demi, I, I guess I don't know the the backstory, the relationship there. I it just feels very strange. It was kind of an odd um, guy to be thrown in there, um, but to that end, I'm like I I felt like going back to what I was saying earlier. They're they're speaking to some of the nature of expectations of Hollywood musicals. And so by having Gene Kelly in, who clearly was somebody who represented mm-hmm. a lot in what American like Hollywood musicals were, um, and having him in this film, um, I think allowed them to make that point a little more, perhaps. Yeah. No, I hear it. It it in that line though, it it almost feels like Gene they're sort of using Gene Kelly to mock something that clearly has built gene kelly's career uh well and that's the thing it's like there are times when it feels a little like they're mocking it but then for the most part i feel like it feels like they're paying an homage to it okay so i think they get away with it okay Uh, another one that is not stunt casting and is actually a, a casting of an incredible international talent is george shakiris uh, who is the um, Greek young man born, I think, in Ohio, uh, who he, he plays one of the carnies, Etienne. But man, it it is mind-blowing to see him in here. He won the Academy Award for playing Bernardo in the film West Side Story. Uh, incredibly busy guy. Broadway, film, stage, Vegas, music career. He's a jewelry designer, a passionate jewelry designer. Uh, he has uh, done a lot of stuff. And he is a song and dance man in French, 
uh, one of our lead carnies, I thought he was terrific, even though he tucks his jeans in his weird white boots. Yeah, and even though he and his dance partner can't, uh, uh, you know, hit each other, hit, hit the choreography per- <laughs> perfectly with each other. Right, um, which is so strange because he's so talented. It was weird, like, because Grover Dale, who plays the other half yep. of the our Carney pair, is also an American. Um, and it, it's just like, I, I, I don't know what they were going for with, like, with uh, casting some Americans in these roles. And this was, like, one of his only... Um, films that he had done, Grover Dale, mm-hmm. and so it's 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 strange to kind of cast this American pair as the Carnies, unless what they were really trying to do here is saying, you know, all these uh, these people coming in are really outsiders, and so let's cast the Americans as kind of our core group of outsiders. I don't know. I don't know. It's very strange. I mean, you know, he was. I think more in terms of his f- television and film, he was more uh, of a choreographer and. Uh, it's very strange that he would get in in this film, but you got again, uh, good French. Yeah, I I thought they did great with their French. I didn't even realize who I was looking at until uh, afterward. I was researching it. I'm like, oh, uh, and then it just it threw me that oh they were American. I didn't even yeah. realize that, so yeah. they pulled it off. Uh, Michel Piccoli as uh, Simon Dame. He is a really busy guy. Uh, 233 credits. Uh, he seems like one of those faces to me, but I, I, I just so familiar. I can't place it. I'm sure there's a film that he did that's going to lock it in for me. But uh, uh, mostly, he was just uh, great as kind of the the strange guy who decided to uh, completely upend his life and open a music store in Rochefort. All. Uh, to uh, relive old memories of lost love. <laughs> what a weird premise that is. Well, this movie is full of them, so mm-hmm. it all ends up working. Do you I know guess. who he is, though? I mean, if you do, you are you? Does he remind? Well, you I know of he had a very long career in France in mm-hmm. the in the French film industry, um, but other than that, I don't know anything about him. Uh, we've already mentioned Guillaume, played by Jacques Riberol. He, sh- this should have been where hashtag Me Too started. That's all I'm saying. He's a creep. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he's a very nice man, uh, but wow, he he's a horrifying individual, though. Yes, uh, it, it's such a such a strange person to uh, tie in. But again, I felt like that, uh, you know, in context, I guess, of all the different love stories, I guess it fits right below the murderer above uh we've already mentioned the murderer henri crémieux uh plays subtil dutro uh and he is uh yeah he's he's the bad guy jacques demi i am an inexperienced demi viewer help me what do i need to learn from this about jacques demi as a as a screenwriter and director well this is my first uh jacques demi film that I have seen. So I'm as young and uh, fresh as you. I do know that this film and the umbrellas of Cherbourg, those are his two films that he is uh, most lauded for. They're the ones that, uh, that certainly seem to have, have the most buzz um, of films in his career. I know he was really into musicals and movies that had musical numbers. He was one of those guys who, uh, just kind of enjoyed that sense of magic in the cinema. I believe when he was younger, 
Uh, he studied art. I, I can't remember if he, if he did animation or worked with animators or something, but there was something about kind of that artistic, dreamy nature that he uh, was drawn into as he was, uh, as he was younger and growing up. And he brought that forward when he entered film and started uh, writing and directing and telling stories. It became a very key element of what he was doing. And I think to that end, uh, I, I, this is just one of those films that that has that dreamlike quality that allows for um, that it, it it fits perfectly in the world of what a musical is trying to achieve. And yes, I do feel there is some European uh, essence of kind of that uh, looking at what Hollywood does and, and subverting it a little bit. But for the most part, I do feel it very much is like an homage. And, and I feel like Jacques Demy is a guy who really enjoyed what Hollywood did and was trying to do his own version of it. I Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel it. Um, and, and generally, I, I think where the film succeeds, interestingly, maybe, where it succeeds is when it is most honest to that homage and where it fails is where it, it sort of diverts and, and tries to do something that is uh, either exists and lives in satire or, um, you know, some sort of dark twist. Uh, and, and so, you know, the stuff where he is just playing it straight, uh, I, I find really interesting. I love uh, a lot of the use of camera and the, the placement and the cutting and the patience of the film and the pace of the film, I think, is, is uh, the pace of the visuals, I should say specifically, is really very strong. I think it gets muddled and long, and, and, uh, uh, but that, the visual style and his sense as a director is, is quite entertaining for me. I felt like, um, as I was watching the film, I mean, we start with kind of that ballet as, uh, as the movie opens. And Which is lovely. All the, it's beautiful. While they're dancing on yeah. the, the funky bridge. Funky thing. bridge, yeah. And I was like, okay, this is cool. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of just dance, but I liked what they were doing with it. It was done. I think what struck me is this is a director who finds interesting ways to shoot his subject, so I'm not bored. And so I was enjoying that. And then the carnies get to town and they start unpacking. And this this moment happens where... The carnies are pulling stuff out and they are running over to like put a ladder up and climb up some light poles so they can string something across the road. And and then I see that the camera, it goes up with them up the ladder and across the street over to the other side. And then all of a sudden we're focusing on the dance room and we hear the, the, the piano music playing in there. And then the camera goes into the room. And, and we, that's how we end up meeting Delphine and her sister. And it, and it struck me, I'm like, I don't think I've seen a cut for quite a while. And so I actually had to back the film up and watch it. And it's like, it starts when the carnies are kind of walking from, I can't remember their car or whatever it was. And the whole thing is done in one shot as we kind of go through and follow them as they go, bring their ladder over, plop it down, go up this light and the camera goes up with them and it goes across the street and into the room and, and, and all the way following as, as, uh, as uh, Delphine is teaching her little uh, dance class. It's, it was like a really impressive move and it, it just gave me a hint that, okay, uh, I don't know whether I'm going to like this movie or not as I'm getting started with it. 
but at least I feel like I'm in good hands. Like I felt like Jacques Demy had a really uh, solid grasp on how to tell a story in an interesting way. I I totally agree. I and I I really like the way you put that. I feel like I'm in good hands as a director. Uh, I I feel like I'm in good hands with this film. And like you, I'm very curious about Umbrellas of Cherbourg now. Uh, it's fantastic. And then we can go on just a little Jacques Demy tour of uh, the of towns of France. Yeah, right. Where else can we visit? Right. How to do an award season, Andy? This wasn't a uh, a big award type of film. Uh, this was uh, it. It received one nomination in all of the awards, and that was in the 1969 Oscars. Because here in the U.S., it was released in 1968. Um, the nomination it received was for best music score of a motion picture, original or adaptation, by Michelle Legrand and Jacques Demy. Um, it did lose to Oliver, which was the big uh, Oscar winner that year. And uh, so they did not walk away with anything, but it just goes to show that the music is one of the elements that really stands out in this film. Yes, yes, it is. And uh, with that, I, and and we've already mentioned the the French love this film. Uh, tell me, it had a successful run at the box office. <laughs> Well, you know, like so many older foreign films, there unfortunately is just not much in the way of records for us here, particularly here in the States. What I could find is that Demi had a big success with the film in France, with a total of 1,319,432 admissions after it opened there March 8th, 1967. The movie did open in a number of countries over the next five years after that, including the U.S., where it opened April 11th, 1968. The movie did have a re-release in the late 90s here in the States when it was restored, and it was received quite well. Outside of that, Pete, your guess is as good as mine. Then I think, Andy, I you know, this movie is, it, it's kind of a mystery. I went in thinking that I was going to be just bowled over by it. I was not bowled over. It is, uh, I swing from side to side, from scene to scene. Generally, it is not one that I, I feel like I'm going to be coming back to uh, with great frequency. I feel like I've already exhausted my interest in uh, in most of the music uh, now that I've been listening to it for uh, several days. Uh, and uh, I, I feel just generally sort of let down in how slow moving it was and how disinterested I was in so many of the, the romantic angles uh, and the, uh, you know, the, the you don't show up to watch this as a Gene Kelly movie. It's it's it is not that film. So uh, there are some real high points. And I love uh, a lot of what Demi is capable of here. But generally, this movie is a disappointment. Yeah, I, I I can't say that I uh, uh, disagree with you too much. I mean, I, I enjoy the film. Um, it's interesting. Um, it never really got me drawn in. I liked the magical world that they created here. I, I did feel like in just the fact that the dancing is always going on creates an interesting sense of world building. Um, but yeah, it was just never a story that really uh, kind of grabbed me and took me. And I know a lot of people love it. And, uh, you know, absolutely. I, I can see why there are a lot of interesting things in here for people to love. But I, I just wasn't one of those people. It didn't grab me. I found it interesting to watch. Uh, I enjoyed it to a certain extent. But uh, other than that, I'm like, okay, now I've seen it. Check yep. it off the list. Check it off the list. But first, let's rank it. 
Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all our movies, or you can swipe over in your show notes, tap flickchart, and that'll take you straight to this movie where you can add it to your own personal catalog. Andy, where do we start? First up, The Young Girls of Rochefort, or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Hmm. Oh Brother. That's an Oh Brother. All right, next up, we have Rochefort, or The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Baron Munchausen. Um, yeah, I'm going with Munchausen. The Young Girls of Rochefort, or The Emigrants. I'm going to say The Young Girls, please. Uh, yeah, I am too. The Young Girls of Rochefort, or From Hell. From Hell. I'm going to say From Hell as well. Rochefort, or Defending Your Life. Defending your, defending your Life for me. All right, we're going to have to All right. take it to the mats. Let's do it. All right, here we go. One, One two, two, three. three. Scissors. Paper. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Out of the gate. I know. The Young Girls of Rochefort or Major League. Major League for me. Major League. The young Girls of Rochefort or the Hudsucker Proxy. Rochefort for me. Oh, it's all Hudsucker all the way. <laughs> I knew it was going to be. Uh-huh. All right. Here we go. One, One two, two, three. three Rock. <laughs> Crush you. Uh. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> the Young Girls of Rochefort or Escape from New York. I think I'm Rochefort on this. I I think I am too. Rochefort or Star Trek Into Darkness. Our rather disappointing entry. Yeah. To that one. I'm going to say... Oh. I'm, I'm into darkness on this. If that helps push you in one way or another. No, I, I have a hard time picking that one. I'm going to say Rochefort. Okay. One... one. Two, Two, three, three, paper. Well, that's it. Uh, Just one slot behind Star Trek Into Darkness. The Young Girls of Rochefort landed at 292 out of 338. Pretty low on our chart. It's about 14%. um, So, well, you know what that says. My own personal one, it ended up at 2725 out of 3918, which is about 30%. Uh, so a little better yeah, than that. Mine ended up at six sixty one out of one thousand eight. That's about thirty four percent. So you know, going by this, the algorithm, it should be a one and a half star film. I, I'm inclined to to listen, but that feels like a dig to this film. I didn't hate it. I I, I didn't hate it. It this is a, a definitely a Casablanca film for me. Uh, you know, if I gave it any thought, I probably would, but I think I'm just going to move on. So, I uh, I'll leave this as a 2 star uh, for me on my Letterboxd uh, review at letterboxd.com/thenextreel. Is that a with a 2 star with a like or no? No. I don't think so. Not really. I uh, you know me I'm a little bit of a flipper to gibbet when it comes with uh, to it comes to the stars, so eh mostly it's the the heart or no heart and it's it's a no heart. I am I'm gonna give it three stars. Um, you know I can appreciate it. There's an interesting magic there. It didn't always work for me, um, but you know I I can certainly see the appeal. So I'm three stars and a like, and I think that uh, leaves it at two and a half stars and a like. So that's where it'll sit. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Indeed. That that wraps up our second in our 60s musicals uh, series. Where do we go from here? We are going to be uh, looking at, uh, from the same year, Thoroughly Modern Millie, directed by George Roy, Roy Hill, 
starring Julie Andrews, James Fox, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, Carol Channing. It'll be uh, it'll be an interesting one. Um, this is the second in our series that uh, I have never seen before, so I'm really curious to see how it fares as we jump into a 20s story told in the 60s. 20s story told in the 60s, but directed by George Roy Hill, and that that ends up being kind of an interesting uh, interesting mashup. So I I can't wait for you to see what you think here. The music by Elmer Bernstein is is. Uh, it, it's it's something to hear. So I'm I'm looking forward to your take on this movie. So you have seen this one. This one I have. Yes. yes. Interesting. It is interesting. It is interesting. I certainly love all the people in it. Uh, so it it's you know I I, I shall Uh-oh. stop. I shall stop. Pat Morita plays <laughs> Oriental number two. Yes, he does. <laughs> so that does just, Jack uh, Sue. Me. Yeah. They are both Chinese henchmen. Oh dear! They are also both Japanese men. So there you go. <laughs> what, what are you What are you gonna do? Uh, anyhow, it's it is a movie of its time. So uh, I, I can't wait to to hear what you have to say. As always, the next reel couldn't happen without the hard work of Stephen Smart, our dear friend and colleague uh, in Scotland. He runs the Instagram Industrial Complex here, helped out by Ben Stirick, uh who is uh, working with him to keep our Instagram Instagram humming. Uh, of course, the great Ben Lott of the Blot Spot runs all things Twitter and uh, is an epic uh, reviewer over in our Discord for Patreon subscribers. And the next real theme, Ragtime Instrumental, and the TNR Film Board theme, Crawling Kingsnake, are both by Eli Catlin, which you can find on SoundCloud. Thanks, everybody, for downloading and listening. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andrew. As Amazon always doeth, but not as not as well in this particular case. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it, it really, really doesn't. Um, there were no one or two star reviews, and in fact, of all the, re- there were only fourteen total reviews. Uh, and I would say that is a shame. I think probably, even given how we feel about this movie, it's probably worth seeing for cinephiles. Like if you're if you're a fan of movies and music, this is a movie you should see and then go give us a review to talk about. Yeah, more people need to get their words on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> Even if it's complaining about the disc not working. I don't know why we're calling for that. <laughs> Agents of change, rise up and <laughs> review things on Amazon. Um, so we we have to suffer through with just a couple of reviews, and and I think I I was the lower review, so I went with a five star uh, that is uh, very brief, uh, and uh, I I'll open it up and we'll fall down from there. Sounds good. This is uh, Anthony says back. This was in December, just last year. He says this is five stars. It's even better, La La Land type movie. Discovered this movie while reading about La La Land, and this is an even better La La Land type movie. Highly recommended for any music lovers. Yeah, you know. See, there people are comparisons love it. abound. They abound. Well, I have a three star by Doctor Detroit. I didn't realize that uh, that's what uh, Dan Aykroyd was now doing. <laughs> but anyway, three stars. Beautiful or light, beautiful women, no plot. There you go. Uh, I don't know, Doctor Detroit, folks. Doctor. I don't. 
don't think Toronto Detroit had the volume up. <laughs> oh, uh, my. Thanks, Amazon. Punctuality is a virtue, my good madam. Let's chew the fat. Just what's that supposed to mean? Oh, nothing personal, love chunks, but can we get to it? You know, I hate to come down from Wayne County. I have businesses in Lansing. I have muffler shops, chicken chains. I got slums to collect the rent from. I have a chiropractic practice. I make adjustments to the human spine. And this little trip has cut far too much into my professional time. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022... We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>